0: Good morning, everyone. We are back this morning in Exodus chapter 20 as we look at the Ten Commandments and we will be thinking together about commandment number three, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Let me say that I am grateful for uh, Kevin and the work that uh, the Lord has called you to do here and thank you for uh, doing it well. It is always good to come to this moment with the heart already in the right place. We have sang the the truth of the gospel. We have considered the glory of the Lord Jesus and now we're ready to open his word and continue to worship him through our thoughts. Exodus chapter 20 verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let us pray together. Father, we praise you this morning for the beauty of your creation, the beauty of the truth that we can proclaim together through music. We thank you, Father, for you have given us moments like these to be reminded of that which transcends all cultures and time and all things, truth that remains forever, for it will never pass away. And we thank you, Lord, for Christ Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. And as always, we pray that through the proclamation of your word, sinners will be saved, the saints will be sanctified, and that the name of Christ will be exalted above all things. And it is in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. What is in a name? What is in a name? Let me see if I can begin by giving you some historical perspective. At the heart of the atrocities committed by the Nazis against the Jews during World War II was the dehumanizing that took place within the concentration camps. And this dehumanization took many forms, of course. There were the inhumane conditions in which many of the Jews lived. There was also starvation. There were beatings. There were tortures. There were horrific experiments. And on and on it went. The concentration camps were a sort of machine designed to inflict as much hopelessness as possible upon its prisoners and the list of methods by which this was accomplished can turn into a very large one. Evil can be very creative. No question about that. But there was one practice that took place within these camps that might have taken this dehumanization process to greater heights When the Jews came in, they were a sign of something very unique, namely a serial number. A serial number. At first, this serial number was sewn to their prisoner uniforms. Later, however, this number was tattooed on their skin. Why was this dehumanizing? Because when these people came into these concentration camps, they literally became nameless, nameless. And from then on, they were identified and known only as a category and a serial number. My friends, I submit to you that few things can be more crushing to the human soul than to have your very personal name erased and replaced with an impersonal serial number. So what is in a name much indeed. The dehumanization process in those concentration camps had to involve turning people into nameless serial numbers because attached to a name is an identity a personhood, a self. Let me see if I can offer some biblical proof of this. Turn in your Bibles to first, first Corinthians chapter five, and I want you to zero in on verse 11, first Corinthians five, verse 11. When Paul was addressing these Christians at Corinth, he also associated a name with an identity. As he was calling them out for their sinful pride in their acceptance of immoral behavior Paul told them the following words 1 Corinthians 5:11 But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the what the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Do not associate with anyone who is seeking to do two things at the same time. What two things? Both engage in sinful behavior and also bear the name. Of brother. In other words, if you take the Christian name, you better take the Christian life. Why did Paul make that connection? Because names indicate identity. Names are not just meaningless letters floating in the abstract. Names capture the essence of personhood. This is why when someone shows you an email or a text or a letter, And you don't know the context of it, but suddenly you see your personal name written on it. Two things happen immediately. First, your heart skips a beat or two. And second, you experience a very strong desire to know what that email, that text or that letter actually says. Why? Because as I just said, a name is not just random letters put together. A name captures the essence of personhood. You are attached to your name. And what happens to your name matters. Names do matter. In the Bible, this is very, very clear. One of my favorite illustrations of the importance of names uh, in biblical history is the name Noah. Noah. It says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 29, that Lamech named his son Noah, saying... Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. That's quite the name. That's quite the name. But it is clear from scripture that names do matter. There are many, many more examples. Names can also change to indicate a new role. For instance, Abram was changed to Abraham. Because he became the father of many nations. So names do matter. And if this is the case when speaking about humans, then consider the infinite magnitude to which this same truth is elevated when speaking about God's name. God's name. God has placed an infinite amount of importance upon his own name. Therefore, you shall not take The name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So as we go through this commandment this morning, I will issue a total of three questions about Exodus chapter 20 verse seven that hopefully will guide our thinking and our meditation this morning. And we will end with seven practical gospel considerations. So the first question is the obvious one. And you can follow along in your notes. The one without which we can't even move forward or make progress in our study. Can you guess what that question is about commandment number three? If you can't guess, I'm going to tell you what it is. What is God's name? What is God's name? Now, before we answer that question, notice the emphasis That is being placed upon that name. Did you notice something different about commandment number three? When compared to commandment one and two, the first two commandments are in the first person singular, whereas the third commandment is given in the third person singular, which is an interesting change. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, He didn't say, you shall not take my name in vain. He said, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Why the third person singular? Why not in the first person? Well, I believe the reason is for emphasis. It is as though God were telling us, behold, pay attention. Deeply consider My name, in other words, you can't even read the third commandment without being struck by a deep sense of solemnity. God's name is to be highly treasured and guarded. So then what is that name? What is that name? Well, I want to answer that question in two ways. First, in the narrow way, the answer is given to us in the commandment itself. It is God's proper name. The word Lord which in the Hebrew is Yahweh, Yahweh, which is also known as the Tetragrammaton, the Tetragrammaton, which literally means four letters. In the Hebrew language, the name of the Lord was spelled with four letters and it's called the Tetragrammaton, which is the letter Y-H-W-Y, transliterated into our own letters. This name is a name expressing God's actual being. It translates as I am who I am. I am who I am. And deep within this name is the mind-boggling idea of God's self-existence and self-sufficiency. We will touch on that later on. For now, just let me take some time to notice the absolute heaviness of God's name. Toward the end of the section known as the law, meaning Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, God speaks these solemn words to the people of Israel. Listen to these words. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord, your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. So what is that name? Well, it is proper to say that this commandment does refer to God's proper covenantal name, namely Yahweh. However, I believe it would be improper to stop there. So having, having given you the narrow sense of God's name as Yahweh, Let me now address the broad sense of this commandment. God has revealed himself to us in more than just one name, more than just one name. In this regard, I agree with 17th century Presbyterian theologian, James Durham, who said that the third commandment should be quote taken for whatsoever. God makes use of for making himself known. Therefore, any name he has revealed to us is equally important. Thus, we can say this. The singular name of the third commandment is actually plural in nature. Why do I clarify this? Well, because I don't want anyone to be left under the impression that there is only one name that deserves our careful reverence and awe and that we get a pass with everything else. That would be a mistake. No, my friends, every name of God through which he has revealed himself to us deserves our utmost reverence. For instance, God has also revealed himself to us as El, El, which means he who is strong. God has also revealed himself to us as El Shaddai, El Shaddai, he who is powerful. Moreover, he has also revealed himself to us as he who is merciful, he who is just, he who is gracious, he who is good. But more intimate still, our God has even revealed himself to us in holy scriptures as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So those are the names of God, just a few. But then the question that naturally flows is this one. So what? What is the big deal? Well, let me see if I can address that by moving on to our second main question for this morning. Why does God's name matter? Why does God's name matter? There's one primary reason. And I have already hinted at this in my introduction. God's names or name matters because of this simple reason. You cannot Separate God's name from God's being. You cannot separate God's name from God's being. And I will give you several lines of argumentation for this point. First, consider with me the source of God's name. Who named Adam and Eve? Their parents? They were not even there, right? Who named Adam and Eve? Well, God did because God is above them. God is above them. Who named you? That's an easy question. Well, your parents named you. Why? Because also they are above them, both in care and authority. Well, let me ask you this question. Who named God? Well, if we follow the same logic, and since there is no one above him, And he is the ultimate being. No one can name God. He names himself. No baby does that. As far as I know, that would be weird. He names himself. And if he doesn't give us his name, we can't come up with one. We have no freedom, no right to do that. He's above all things. Oh, my friend, consider the wonder, the beauty, the awesomeness of human language. Who would have thought that even letters could be a reason to praise God because without them, we wouldn't know his name. When was the last time you thanked God? You praised him for language. The fact that we can communicate and read letters and put them together and we come up with the name of God. When was the last time you did that? You don't have to answer that. Second, consider with me the uses, the uses of God's name. What are they used for? Self disclosure. Self disclosure. God's name always reveals something about who he is. Yahweh is God's covenantal name. And it teaches us something about God's absolute eternality and independence. It means he who is, he transcends all things. He is in need of nothing and we contribute nothing to God. He has no lack in his own being and he does not do anything out of need. That is Yahweh. God simply is in more technical terms. Maybe some of you have heard this expressed in the following way. God is pure actuality. You can think on that for months. God is pure actuality in him. There is no potentiality. You see how there is potential in none of us. We're always becoming something. God simply is. There is no potential in God. He is full actuality. All things in God are actualized to the absolute fullest in his person. He never becomes something. He wasn't already. All that is revealed through this one name. Yahweh. Yahweh. What God is. He is both now and for all eternity. No additions. No subtractions. No newness in God. He simply is. Third, consider with me the associations of God's name. His name is normally associated with different attributes of God. For example, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, we read the following. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your what? Your name in all the earth. Who is majestic? Well, God is majestic. If God's name is majestic, according to Psalm 8, and only God is majestic, then this proves the perfect relationship that exists between his name and his being. Fourth, consider with me the personification of God's name. I love this personification of God's name. In Psalm 20, verse 1 David prays with these words. Consider these words. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Do you see that? May the name of the Lord, your God, protect you. So close is the link between God's name and God's being that his name and being are used interchangeably. Fifth consider the weightiness of God's name. What do I mean by weightiness? I mean to say that God's very presence is linked directly to God's name. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 verse 9, Jehoshaphat, one of the kings of Judah, prayed in the temple courts with these words. Listen to these words. If disaster comes upon us, the sword Judgment or pestilence or famine. We will stand before this house, meaning the temple and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save us. Did you hear that? God's very presence is equated to God's name. And now I want you to think about what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. Amazingly, Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered in my what name, there I am among them. What an astonishing statement to gather in the name of Jesus is to have the very presence of God. Astonishing Sixth and final consider with me the centrality of God's name, the centrality of God's name. What is the greatest commandment? Of all love the Lord, your God, you got that right. Very good. But consider this so perfect is the union between God's name and God's being that the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 56 verse six, that to love God's name is to love God himself. So the greatest commandment is fulfilled as we love God's very Name. So, why does God's name or names matter? Here is the bottom line answer God's names matter because it is not just that God has a name, God is His name. And I say that with the utmost reverence. Therefore, when you consider all those things, the source, the uses, the associations, the personifications, the weightiness, and the centrality of God's name, you begin to understand why there is a third commandment. Now, obviously, this leads us into our third main question for this morning, which is probably the heart of this study. Number three, here's kind of the the bummer question, right? How do we break this commandment? (laughs) How do we break this commandment? A lot of us associate commandment number three simply with the actions of our mouth. And to some extent it is true, but there's so much more. Uh, I would encourage you to take a copy of the Westminster Larger Catechism, and they have several paragraphs of what this commandment actually means, but I didn't want to do that here. Uh, But let's try to answer that question. How do we break the third commandment? We must begin by asking a more specific question. What does in vain mean? What does in vain mean? To take something in vain is to treat it as though it possesses no meaning or as if it was meaningless. To take God's name in vain then is to divest it of its weightiness. It is to empty it of its holy and perfect meaning. It is to treat it lightly. To take God's name in vain is then the opposite of what our Lord Jesus taught us in the Lord's prayer. What is the very first petition Jesus asked of the Father in that prayer? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name name in other words father may your name evoke in us the deepest reverence and the highest praise may your name be set apart as distinct unique special may it be treated as something beautiful a treasure of us of our highest regard obviously then the opposite of this is to take something in vain now there are several ways in which we can do this first first and obviously by carelessly and irreverently using God's name. I think we need to take this one very seriously. I think we have to take this one very seriously linked to the third commandment is the idea of fear, fear. The third commandment, I believe is a call to proper evangelical Fear of the Lord manifested in the reverential use of his names. Yes, my brother and sister, God does care about the use of your tongue. Being under grace does not free us to be careless and irreverent with the name of the Lord. In fact, of all peoples of the earth, we Christians should be the most fearful, that is, the most reverential and awestruck people, for we have been given the knowledge of the Lord of Lords. And this should generate proper fear within us. Consider the words of David in Psalm 86, verses 10 and 11, who said this For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart. To fear your name, to fear your name. When was the last time you asked the Lord to give you a proper fear of his name? Second, second, we blaspheme or we take God's name in vain by lessening God's glorious reputation before men, before men. I'm not going to say a whole lot about that one because we'll, we'll return to it a little bit later. Third, we take God's name in vain. And this one is a, is a very interesting one, a heavy, heavy topic here by attributing the work of the spirit to Satan. This is also known as the blasphemy against the Holy spirit in both Matthew chapter 12 and Mark three, we find a solemn warning against this particular sin, which is the only sin of which Jesus said will not be forgiven. Now we won't dwell upon this one, but even though we won't on this particular point, I do want to remind us of the importance of evangelical discernment and the dangers of confusing the work of Satan for that of God and vice versa. These confusions can be extremely dangerous and they are considered to be blasphemous. Number four, fourth, we take God's name in vain. And this one doesn't normally come to our minds, but it's very, very, very important. Fourth, by living in a way that is inconsistent with our Christian profession. You see, it's way more than just your mouth. In Romans chapter two, verse 24, the apostle Paul quotes from Isaiah 52, verse five, and applies it to the Jewish community. Listen to these words. Listen to this out of Romans. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. A very clear example of this is found in Proverbs chapter 30, verses eight and nine, where we read the following, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. How interesting that stealing is profaning the name of God. Another example is found in Titus chapter two, verses four and five, where the apostle Paul addresses wives and he tells Titus to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. Pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Interesting. that Our actions have a direct relation to the third commandment. And fifth, we take God's name in vain by incorrectly speaking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an interesting one. Consider Paul's conversion testimony in Acts chapter nine. Here, Jesus reveals himself to Paul, after which Paul is commanded by Christ himself. Consider this. This is Paul's calling. Christ himself tells Paul to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, for the sake of my name. Interesting, isn't it? Our work of missions and evangelism is directly connected to the third commandment. When we take the gospel out to our neighbors, to other cities and to the rest of the world, we are in essence carrying the name of Christ with us. Therefore, our work of missions and evangelism is by strong implications, our obedience to the third commandment. We must do it. Well, now, all of this leads us to our seven practical gospel considerations. I hope it becomes clear that the third commandment is not just about avoiding certain sins of the tongue, but it's actually about pursuing holiness with all of our lives. So here are the seven practical gospel considerations. Number one, Number one, guard your theology. Guard your theology. It is very interesting that obeying the third commandment has much to do with the care with which we handle our theological knowledge of God. Why? Well, since God's name cannot be separated from God's being. Then what we say and believe about God, we also say about his name. Make no mistake about this, my friend, when we engage in the study of theology, we are engaging in one of the most wonderful yet consequential activities in the world. We must be careful, for we certainly do not want to find ourselves breaking the third commandment by entertaining improper, unworthy thoughts or beliefs about God. Theology matters. We must be responsible theologians. Like uh, R.C. Sproul said, right? We're all theologians. The only difference is some are good theologians, some are bad theologians. And so we must be responsible theologians for the sake of God's glorious name. Number two, number two, be zealous for gospel clarity. Be zealous for gospel clarity. Going back to Paul's calling as recorded in the book of Acts chapter nine, we learned from that verse that Paul's main responsibility as a gospel preacher and apostle was to do one thing. To carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. In other words, in Acts chapter 9, we see both the name of Jesus and the gospel used almost interchangeably. The name of Jesus and the gospel used almost interchangeably. Therefore, our zeal for the gospel is reflective of our zeal for the name of the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? our desire for gospel clarity is ultimately a manifestation of our desire for the glory of God's name. Thus we can conclude. We can conclude that when the church or any denomination or any Christian allows the entrance of worldly ideologies, such as the Common ones today, critical theory, intersectionality, and all those things. What happens is this. The gospel is corrupted. Consequently, the name of the Lord is mocked. Make no mistake about it. Our defense and zeal for the gospel and its purity is not a matter of words only. At the very heart of this is the very honor of God and his name. Number three and connected to this. An implication of the third commandment is this pray for our missionaries. Pray for our missionaries. This is all related to what I just mentioned from the book of Acts chapter nine, verse 15 and 16. It is the role of missionaries around the world to carry the name of Christ. We must pray that they are able to speak the message of Christ with boldness and clarity without compromise. We must pray that they will faithfully guard God's name by faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. This must be a constant request in our prayers for them. And number, whatever that is is four. number four, beware of secret idolatry. Beware of secret idolatry, the idolatries of the heart. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21, we read, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch. And so profane the name of your God. Idolatry is directly attached to the breaking of the third commandment. My brothers and sisters, examine your own hearts. Examine your own hearts. See if there are any idols hidden away in your heart and smash them to pieces. This is direct implication of the third commandment. Number five, live worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. I wonder, I wonder, has the name of our Lord been blasphemed by the way we responded to the COVID crisis? Did the world stand and look upon the church and say, those are the people of God? Here's another illustration. And this, of course, breaks our hearts. But what is taking place in the largest denomination in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, is nothing less than mockery of the name of God. When the newly elected president of this convention is accused of plagiarism, which is intellectual theft and of Trinitarian heresy coming out of his own church, guess what happens? Guess what happens? Do you know what happens? I'm going to tell you what happens. The name of God is mocked by the whole world. This is the largest denomination in the United States of America. And the newly elected president is already accused of plagiarism and of Trinitarian heresy. We should be mourning that this is happening. The name of the Lord is right now being mocked among pagans. The world looks and they laugh. Oh, my brothers and sisters, let us watch the way we live our lives before the world's the world is watching and what is at stake? The very glory of the name of God, not yours, not mine, but God's name. Let our names die. It doesn't matter, but may the name of the Lord be forever glorified. Number next, strengthen your faith, strengthen your faith. This is a direct call from the third commandment. Have you ever thought of lack of faith as an attack upon God's holy name? Have you ever thought of lack of faith as an attack upon God's holy name? I believe it is. Just consider his covenantal name. Yahweh. Yahweh. Referring to Exodus chapter three, where God explains this particular name to Moses Dutch theologian Herman Bavinck makes the following remark. And I quote from this point on the name Yahweh is the description and guarantee of the fact that God is and remains the God of his people, unchanging in his grace and faithfulness. And that is something that could not have been disclosed before the time of Moses. A long time had to pass to prove that God is faithful and unchanging A person's faithfulness can only be tested in the long run and especially in times of distress. So it was also the case of Israel. Centuries had elapsed following the period of the patriarchs. Israel had been oppressed and had experienced great distress. Now God says, I am who I am. Yahweh, the unchanging faithful one, the God of the fathers, your God, even now and forever End quote. My dear brother and sister, please do not leave this place today without first giving thoughtful consideration to all the ways in which God has revealed Himself to us. And remember this He who was he who it was he who is who he is and he will be what he will be he is unchanging he is self-sustaining he is self-existent he needs no one and he is faithful and true both now and forevermore he was faithful to noah he was faithful to abraham he was faithful to moses he was faithful to david he was faithful to his own son and yes he is and will be faithful to those who belong to him. He is Yahweh, the unchanging, faithful, immutable one. He keeps his promises. He always will. And if you lack faith or confidence, just consider the name of God. And finally, my call to all of us, but especially to those of you who are not believers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider with me the gravity of the third commandment. According to Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes, the name shall be put to death. Let me tell you what, my friend, let me tell you what the ultimate dishonoring The ultimate dishonoring of God's name is to reject the one who has been given the name that is above every name, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. Should you reject him, you will forever take his name in vain and pay eternal consequences for it. You will be put to death. That is eternally. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other what no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved but here's where the rubber meets the road my friend Jesus is himself the great I am He is the great I am He is the Lord he is Yahweh himself. Consider the following illustration, and we'll finish with this from Jesus' arrest as recorded in John chapter 18, verse 6. Would you please open there and we will be done? John chapter 18, verse 6. It's one of the most astonishing scenes in the entire Bible. I love to read this story. Jesus is going to be arrested. And in John 18 verse six, this is what happened. Let's let's begin in verse three. So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there where Jesus was with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Amazing story, isn't it? I believe the reason why they fell to the ground is because at that moment, Jesus revealed who he was. And those soldiers were given a glimpse of the fact that they were standing before the great ego, a me. I am. The same one who revealed himself to Moses and said, I am. Why did that fall, fall down? Because this is the only proper reaction to the name of Jesus, my friend. It is the only proper reaction to the name of Jesus. He is the great I am. And the last part of the third commandment says, God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. And one day at the sound of his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So here's what I want to tell you, my friend. Don't wait until your knees and your tongue are forced to confess this truth. Bow your knees before him. And confess him with your tongue today. He is Lord. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this uh, simple, uh, very um, imperfect uh, reminder that uh, has come out of my mouth. Father, I thank you that you can take any uh, human. Uh, imperfection and you can still accomplish the work for which you sent your word out into the world. I pray that you will take what has been spoken today. And I pray that the name of the Lord Jesus will be exalted in our lives. And I pray father that you will save many in this room. That You will call them to repentance and believe in Christ Jesus, the name above all names. And may he be worshiped, praised and honored both now and forevermore. In his name we pray, amen.